Welcome everyone. Welcome to Satsang. Good to wonderful to be here with you all. I chose an interesting subject today to open with. That is uh, beyond good and evil to truth. It can seem perplexing, you know, the, the story of Adam and Eve where the, the fall was because they they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Somehow this knowledge of good and evil is a problem. <laughs> um, so <laughs> why is there such a argument about it? Why is there such a, a struggle over it? Of course, the story, the modern, well, modern and Christians and 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 Jews like focused uh, exclusively on the disobedience as if that was the problem and not the actual fruit of that tree. Is it possible to go beyond good and evil, or is it forever going to be a battle between these two, you know, an, an eternal conflict? Or is it always going to be something that's culturally defined? I mean, obviously, one man's good is another man's evil. This, this, the, the board of directors of a company who devastates a community because they, they want cheaper labor in China, ship all the manufacturing over to China, China, their view of good is more profit. Obviously, the people who live in that town have a very different view of it. Or all the incredible amounts, the just insane number of wars that are going on at, at any given time. And it's always being fought as good versus evil, not recognizing that it is. It's completely relative. It is completely arbitrary. It's a cultural view. And if it managed to, manages to assert itself through some kind of power, political or economic or military or the like, assumes that, well, that's what it is. You know, might equals right. Is there a place beyond, beyond it? And is that place that is beyond that which is simply a, a cultural bias uh, to something that's actually solid? And is that place, is that place just total neutrality? It doesn't really matter who wins, right? Is it just, it's just whoever happens to win wins, which means there's, there's, there's no place really to stand, and it's always going to have to be enforced by power. Or is it, is there something else? Well, I'm convinced that there's something else, that beyond our ideas of good and beyond our, our ideas of right doing and wrong doing, as Rumi pointed out, there is a field. There is a different definition, a thing that place that I would refer to as absolute goodness. Now, why would I say goodness? Because evil is always defined in terms of good. Right? It is not self-defined any more than dark is, is defined, uh, is self-defined. It's the absence of something, not the presence. It's the, it's the, it is the, the, the suppositional opposite of it. When you turn on the, the 
light bulb. It's not a dark sucker. It's not sucking the dark out of the room. Pump up the mic a little bit here. How's that? Is that better? Put it all the way up. <clears throat> Sometimes it actually spikes, so somebody just noticed. But maybe I'm speaking a little bit lower, too. Anyway, absolute goodness. Is there such a thing? Well, that's what I'd like to really discuss. And it really affects everything. It's not just, you know, good and evil, but it's you know, our everyday stuff about right and wrong. Uh, our stuff about scarcity and lack or, or abundance, about presence and absence. This is, uh, it, it's not, it's, it, it isn't without its effect. I mean, lack, by its definition, right, has to be defined in terms of abundance. But is abundance just defined then in terms of lack? Is it just, are these two relative? On one level, yes. When you look at them specifically or, or simply look at them as conditions, then they have to arise together. Oh, mic's not operating in its best automatically adjust. <clears throat> well, let's see if it's doing anything over here. I've got it is really as high as I want to push it, so have to check it after the fact. But anyway, are you, are, you, are, you, are you following me? Is there some place? My voice is not well, huh? Ah. <clears throat> well, I can't get any, if I get any closer to it, it's gonna, it's gonna really, it's gonna clip. <clears throat> Testing. I can push the volume up some more. How's that, everybody? Is that better? It's up, um, boy, any higher, and it's going to be... Uh, I definitely can understand everything, so it'll work. Comes and goes. My voice is not well. <laughs> Well, I just pushed it up a bit, and um, maybe I'm just talking lower. Um, anyway, where was I? <laughs> Let me just cut to the chase. I'm going to assert that there's such a thing as absolute goodness, and that everything is defined according to that. Conditional goodness, relative goodness, is, a, is just... The way it appears in life, we make a decision based on, based on you know cultural uh, cultural bias, really. But is there an absolute goodness? Is there an absolute standard of what is of what is of what is good? Well, there has to be, because it there there must be truth. There must be something that exists that is not dependent upon something else. 
that is not merely an appearance of something else. There's got to be something that is, that absolutely is. And in order for that to be absolutely true and, and changelessly true, as truth must be, it cannot be something that has internal inconsistency or conflict. If it was, it would be e eternal conflict. It would be eternal misery. <laughs> it would be eternal inner inconsistency. Truth is internally consistent. And I say that is what is good. It is whole. It is one. It is free of all of all inner conflict. And therefore, anything that manifests must itself be free of inner conflict. It must be pure. It must be empty. And so there is a field beyond the ideas of right doing and wrong doing, beyond the ideas of them, not beyond all goodness. But a but the field of primordial wisdom, which recognizes the absolute goodness, the absolute wholeness, the absolute abundance, the absolute truth. Now we do make a mistake when we try to when we try to make some kind of some kind of cultural point of view or religious or theological point of view into an absolute truth. And you'll notice that when anybody does that, the means by which they do it is always the threat, <laughs> some kind of a threat, <laughs> some, some kind of a power move, right? <laughs> so you can tell that it's not self-sustained. If it has to assert itself through some, some kind of power, well, then it's not self-sustained. It requires your complicity. It requires your agreement. It requires your belief in it. And if it requires your belief in it, then it's not true. Then it's not absolute. Because truth does not require anyone to believe it in order to be what it is, which is truth. Hmm. This is a hard thing to put into words because we're so used to we're so used to seeing things in the rel relativistic terms. We're so used to looking at things through the lens of the unenlightened mind. To the unenlightened mind, the conditions are, are, are the, the substance. They are the reality. And so trying to maintain particular conditions becomes what we spend all our, all our days and nights doing. But the enlightened mind doesn't see that. The enlightened mind sees a substance that is beyond the form, that is that the form expresses either in its presence or in its absence, its, its affirmation or its negation. So absolute abundance can express itself in abundance, but it can also express itself in the negation of abundance of what we call lack. Both of those are an expression of exactly the same substance, of exactly the same essence. They both manifest it. 
the the substance of it of it itself, the absoluteness of it of it itself, is infinitely abundant, infinitely wise, infinitely infinitely good. And I can say that I have to put it into those terms. When I use the words good and evil, it gets it gets picked up by the unenlightened mind as a relativistic thing. But when you look at it carefully through the lens through the lens of truth, you find that goodness being all there is, being one without a second, there is no opposite to it. If all it's all is light, then then it's 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 not right. You can't call it light anymore because there's nothing other than that. It takes it's taken out of the realm of just the conceptual and the linguistic, and brought into the realm of the, the understanding of oneness. That good is all there is because love is the nature of being, and truth cannot be internally consistent, inconsistent. Otherwise, you would have an eternal hell. I don't know what, I don't know uh, if I explained that very well. I, it's such a subtle thing, and it, it's so hard to pierce the veil of, our, of our, the normal context in which we try to process information and, and come to see things. But if, if we're willing to just take a step outside and consider the possibility that there, there is a guiding principle that is in its nature internally consistent. It is one without a second and does not require my belief in it in order to exist. Then I can step into a realm of oneness which would have to be by its very nature harmonious. And so you could call it love. You could call it harmony, you could call it wisdom, you could call it unity, you could call it oneness. But not one in terms of one instead of two, a one that has no second, which makes it ineffable beyond description. And um, I'm just maintaining that that is in fact the, 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 the truth that it must be like that <laughs> or uh, or eternity it would be hell. I'm going to let it go at that. <clears throat> with all the, hopefully the, with all the mic problems and stuff, everything was, maybe it, something got through. <laughs> Didn't feel like it flowed very well to me, but I'm a terrible judge. Hello, Roberto and, and Rosario. Roberto's in Barcelona today. And Rosario Madrid. Dorte in Denmark. Teresa, South London. This lies on the, west, on the East Coast. Sophie. Hello, Sophie. Much love from Sophie in Portugal. Thank you for Satsang. Good to be here. There's John in Ireland. Ava in Poland. There's Mary in New York. There's Nazarene in Ireland. Oh, Snizzly. <laughs> Hello, Bob. <laughs> so nice to see you again. 
out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing. There's a field. I'll meet you there. Yes. Yes. It's it's empty of all attributes, which makes it pure and one. And thus it is beyond all of our concepts of it. And yet informs them. It's the primordial wisdom. Mm, hello, Ursula in Portugal and Teresa. It's not about being good. No. <laughs> no, it's about the perceiving of that wisdom that, that comes from the primordial, the essential, the absolute goodness, and letting that inform human behavior. So we have a, the discriminating power to discern between what is the most good possible under the circumstances in this moment. And for me, it will always be that which is the most loving. And as you can see, we don't, we, we don't live in a world that is, that is governed by love right at this point. But the appearance of the of the um, almost appears to be the triumph of, of evil is only an appearance because by its nature it is the absence of absolute good which means it can't survive it, it isn't self-sustained it is only sustained by belief in it which is why billions of dollars are invested to convince people of something it's true that isn't it obviously is not. <laughs> but you can't squelch the truth. You simply can't do it. Hello, Dale in Boston. And there's Carl in Ireland and EFT Meridian. Hello, EFT Meridian in Slovakia. Wonderful. Wonderful to have you. Looks like I'm in a cozy setting there, GP. Yeah, I didn't want to turn out all the lights and stuff. So I just got my candles in the back. I got one little light here and um, set it up so that there was enough illumination. And uh, I've got my uh, candles going there on my, uh, it's kind of an altar. So I light that in the morning when I get up to do my meditation. <clears throat> so, um, like sensitive Facebook user. So I'll skip over the comments about my mic. You <laughs> leave my mic out of it. <clears throat> Question, you said, I don't swim with sharks, but if the English witness is untouched by, enlightened witness is untouched with, then why would you say something like this? Well, to the enlightened witness, if you really want to go all the way, there's, there's no sharks, there's no ocean, there's no, there's no me. There's, there's only the, the, the even manifestation of being that reflects itself in everything. And, and in fact, if I was to swim, swim with sharks and, and this body was, became their dinner, it would be a bad way to, for, to let go of this body, but I would remain untouched. The, the, the enlightened is not foolhardy, it's, it's, it's wise. I use that as a metaphor to show that don't take a Pollyannish attitude towards the world around you because you've, you've, you've come to see 
to a degree who you actually are and the actual nature of existence and all phenomena. We can take this idea that I'm just going to be loving to everyone and I just be trusting of everyone. When in fact, wisdom dictates that you see people where they are as they are, which is why I use the 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 metaphor of swimming with the sharks. I, I would not expect the shark to change its behavior for, to, my bene to benefit me. They are simply going to be what they are. Now, my job is to go beyond even that, to see that with, on, on this level, within the realm of the human, they are an animal with certain characteristics. As a matter of fact, the characteristics define them as an animal. And if I go swim with me, it's very likely, likely I will be bitten, maybe even eaten in total. That is, this body will. But all of it is a manifestation of that one. The manifestation is always in terms of opposites, the predator and the prey, the light and the dark, the masculine and the feminine. It is always appearing as such. And so the opposites, if accepted as they are, are both seen to emerge from the same timeless uh, uh, perfection that is wisdom. And you can see that that is love, that nothing's actually lost, that the appearance is only an appearance. It's phenomenal. But it is it has no absolute or objective existence. So you could say it is not real. It is only a phenomenon that has that is empty in its nature. And so in, in that from there you are transcending all of it. In in which case swim with the sharks or not with swim with the sharks, it won't have any effect. And in fact, the sharks may exude a completely different uh, set of behaviors. <laughs> we don't know. Within the context of this world, I recommend that people don't swim with sharks. Unless you have transcended it to such a, to such a degree that, that you walk in a completely different, a completely different world the world of the sage, the world of the, of the enlightened ones. And then what? Well, I don't see a lot of sages going out to swim with sharks. <laughs> so it really is just practical advice as how to function as, as an awakening being in a very asleep world. So it's a metaphor. It's not the sharks I'm worried about. It's politicians and CEOs <laughs> and various kinds of systems and the like that, that, that we must morally speak out against right? and, and, take, and, take the, and not, and not and see them for what they are. Human beings that are not conscious are worse than sharks. They're not really human. They're not really animal. They have yet to step into their humanness. They're, they're in kind of this purgatory in between where they're acting out 
with a level of intelligence, but that intelligence is completely in the dark. Like the brilliant men who, who invented the atomic bomb and nuclear weapons. Brilliant scientists, brilliant, incredible intelligence, totally dark. To what end? So that's why I use it as a, as a metaphor to point out the insanity of unconsciousness and do not put yourself in, in harm's way. If you find yourself in harm's way, then don't fear at all about the consequences. Nothing can hurt you. Body, yes, could be killed. The body could be killed, but you will not be. You cannot be. Consciousness was never born, and so it can never, ever die. Thank you, Facebook user, whoever you might be. Much better, much better. Sound, found, sounds good, sounds good, sounds good. Oh, Merck in gloomy Scandinavia, Scandinavian woods. Oh. Facebook user, I am truth. Indeed, you are. Sandra, I will meet you beyond goodness and evil. Good. <laughs> we'll have coffee. Teresa, what is beyond evil? I get beyond good, but there is evil in the world, in us, the potential. We have to understand it for what it is. It is sustained only by the belief in it. And, and what evil is, nobody gets up and says, I'm going to do things today that are going to destroy the world in my life. Nobody does that, right? There, it is always an uncon, it is a twisted, mistaken sense of what is good. You'll notice that it's always good that's driving, but it's just very, very small. Good is okay if it benefits me. Right? The, 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 more, the, more, the more that's there, if it benefits me, it's good. The, you know, that's narcissism. It's... It's good for me, therefore it is good. It's good for my, my shareholders, which is me. It's good. It's good for America. It's good, right? It's always that. It is always a distortion of good. Evil is not an entity. It is a, it is a, is a horrific misconception of good. Good is the substance, and you can see that. Nobody does evil for the sake of evil. It, they do it because their sense of good and what, and what benefits is completely constrained, contracted within their own egoic mind. So it's, it benefits me or my group. But, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Sometimes something catches my eye in the comments and I go, oh, where was I? Where, where was I? If it gets, con if it gets, constrained, constricted down to what, what's good for me and my group, right? it will then interpret everything it does as good from its perspective and will do evil from the perspective of somebody else. I'm inviting you to take a stand in a place that is beyond merely the good that benefits me to the good that is universal, that is goodness by its very nature. And that goodness is impersonal. It does not favor one over another. 
it has no restrictions on it. Like that. And so when you see that the source of the evil in the world is this delusion, you, you realize that the most important thing you can do is to wake up. That's the most important thing you can do to see and so that you yourself are free of all the, the, the relative arguments of good, of good and evil and therefore become the living witness of the absolute goodness. And I wish there was another word for it because when I say goodness, immediately the context takes it and sticks it within the, the, the relativistic world. I am speaking of an absolute goodness, which is beyond any of our definitions of goodness. It is pure love. It is, not, it is love that, that is not, that is not, not been um, put into the prison of the ego, which is only love that is con, 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 <laughs> love that has been completely in the container of the false sense of self. It is still love, but it is a highly con con contracted version of it. Does that help, Teresa? Because when we understand that evil is a negation of good, it is a misconception of it, it is, it is a delusion, then we realize that it isn't real. It is real only to the degree that it is believed. That is, it's never real. It is experienced to the degree that it is believed in, because what we believe always creates our experience. But it is not real in that it has no inherent existence. Only truth has inherent existence. And so that would have to be the, the, the source and substance of that does it for you, Teresa. Carl. Hi, GP. Is Christ consciousness not actually Christ's, just a consciousness he attained? Couldn't be just as easily be GP's consciousness, not to split hairs. I find just find it confusing and misleading. Yeah, St. Paul actually put it well. He said, let that mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Christ was simply a title given to him. It wasn't his name. Right, Jesus Christ, you know, son of Joseph and Mary Christ. It wasn't his last name. It, it was a title to designate a characteristic. And that characteristic was obviously his mind. That is his consciousness. And his, it wasn't his consciousness. That was what he kept pointing to. The consciousness was actually the great I am, God, the self, the true, the true being, Buddha nature. Krishna consciousness. And those who have perceived something beyond the person of, of Jesus, which, which the, the, the person is what everybody got wrapped up in and what Christianity got, which caused it to completely blow it, uh, to, to destroy it. The consciousness of Christ is what made him Christ, not the body. <laughs> that consciousness is beyond... We use words like the great I am, the self, the, the pure awareness, pure consciousness, Christ consciousness. We use those terms to point to 
something that is beyond ordinary consciousness, which is the consciousness that, that appears to be tied to a person, to an individual, to a being. It seems to be localized and small and, you know, and confined. And so we use this word to point to something that is impersonal, that is not localized, that is beyond space and time, that wasn't born and isn't going to die. And we give those various labels so that we can clearly discern and between the, the two, a finite, which is consciousness anchored in a person, and the infinite, which is consciousness liberated from that, which, which is pure awareness or your true nature. And, and so in this process of awakening, we use this for teaching purposes to try to point people away from the person of Christ, which he was constantly trying to do, by the way, <laughs> to the essence, to the consciousness that was manifesting itself through him, which is why he could say, I and my father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. If you've really seen me, that is my, the consciousness that is animating this body, then you will have seen the Father, and, and not otherwise. And the descent of the Holy Ghost was when the disciples finally got it. They finally, oh my God, they, they had completely missed it, because <laughs> they thought it was him. And of course, there was this, at the time, there was this expectation, this big expectation. And a lot of scholars, I'm not exactly sure what to make of all of that, but a lot of scholars say that, that this guy, Jesus, who they believe really did exist, was basically one of many, um, you know, end of days, end of the world, uh, the salvation's coming kind of preachers of, of the, the day, of which there were many, right? Not gobs, but there were many that were all about overthrowing the, the you know, the latest oppressor, which happened to be the Romans. We're pressing everybody, actually. <laughs> so, so he was associated with that. I, I think his message went beyond that. It, it got couched in that kind of language, but because even scholars see him as a person rather than as the as a transparency through which the divine was showing, um, it would make sense that they would they would draw that conclusion because there there was a lot of that. At, at the time, and in fact, even you know the number six 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 is oh it's the, no it wasn't it was uh, it was the Caesar I think it was Nero right uh, at, at that time when that got coined and at the time everybody would have known exactly what they were talking about Book of Revelation all of that was talking about Rome the Roman Empire so there was a lot of that that was all mixed into it right and uh, when he got crucified if he got crucified but as far as the the story goes, they had to come up with another story because they fully expected that he was going to come, you know, with his army of angels and stuff and take over the world. So they had to come up with a different story. Oh, he's going to come back and, and do it with his angels and, and do it. And, you know, you can, you can see where, where we got to it at, at this point. But all of that misses the whole point. It makes, it makes Christ the great exception rather than the great example. Um, which is great if you want to start a church and manipulate people, um, but has nothing to do with the, the, nothing to do with the truth, which can only be discerned by by the by the awakening eye of wisdom. 
then you begin then you can see if you see me you've seen the father then you can actually see him and that the father or the infinite impersonal consciousness that was animating him you you see that and that the form now becomes secondary it's just it's a temporary shell no man cometh no man ascends up to heaven save he who has come down from heaven even the son of man which is in heaven quite mystical to say that Nobody gets to heaven except those who came from that. <laughs> so the, this, the form, all of that, the transient, the phenomenal, is not transmuted into some kind of divine, divine form. It is seen to be emptiness and that it is, there's nothing but the divine consciousness we have named God that is animating everything, everything including all of the opposites. To the enlightened mind, there is no good and evil. To, to, to understand the same consciousness that is animating everything, from the, to the unenlightened mind, this is a moral problem of the highest order. To the enlightened mind, it is simply appearance, phenomenal, transient. Get enlightened and suffering. Be happy. <laughs> uh, uh, is that answered for you, Carl? I love talking about that, actually. I really love talking about that. I love redeeming Christ's, Christ's message, taking it out of the realm of of the of Christian heretics. <laughs> they don't know they're heretics. They, they, they don't know they're heretics. Many of them. Many of them do. Anyway, enough of that. Where does the other people view him from? If you're talking about me, it's YouTube. Just go to YouTube slash GP Walsh. Hello, Ava. In Vedic tradition, it's called Satcham Sivan Sundaram, truth, goodness, and beauty. Yeah. I like that. Sundaram. That's the name of a piece of music. Sundaram. I like that. Thank you, Ava. Uh, Anthony, so good to see you in Melbourne. There's Barbro in Sweden. Merck. Even though I can clearly see that everything is within consciousness, indoctrination and materialism is making the belief in an object outside of perception that's creating the consciousness so sticky. Yes, and it is the dominant point of view, aggressively dominant. It refuses to even consider an opposite. Now that's breaking down. Right? That, that's definitely breaking, breaking down. You're ab you're absolutely right. Uh, lost you here. Jumped around on me. Um, so what it means is that you you have seen clearly that everything is within consciousness, and and so at this point you are engaged in the process of do I believe that 
or do I believe my conditioning? And this is the struggle that we all have to go through, all of us. This is the post-awakening sadhana. We have to come to see it. We have to uproot every last bit of it that is still, that is still hanging out, that's asserting that there is something other than consciousness. And so you keep at it, you keep at it, you keep at it. You keep seeing that, that even the idea of materialism is itself a manifestation of the self. That it is part of this relative world where you would have the absolute and the relative, you would have materialism and you, or, or, or physical realism, and you have non-duality. As a, and you have to come to see that it is not two, that both are arising from exactly the same place, and that, and that there is nothing, absolutely nothing outside of consciousness. Knowing this, and, you're, and as you do, right, do not expect that the, that the conditioned mind, the psychological mind, the conditioned energy, is going to simply go, oh yeah, you're right. It has thousands of lifetimes invested in this point of view. But eventually you'll see that even those thousands of lifetimes are only a thought in this moment. That they've never had. That there was no past. There is no future. That this is simply what is a present now. And so what is actually present is it something other than consciousness? Well, then this is just simply, it is, it is simply the emptiness dancing. And that even the sense of the unenlightened mind is an appearance to the enlightened mind, the true mind, the pure mind. The, the pure mind can be likened to the still lake that is perfectly reflecting it is a perfect reflection of the, the moon. And in this case, the moon is the, the self that is beyond perception, but gives rise of all perception. And the pure mind, the mind that has been, that has been completely purged of all falsity, will be the perfect reflection. But it's not other than the awareness. The awareness in its dynamic aspect is this. It is nothing other than awareness, aware of itself. And awareness of itself is what we call the, the, the universe, which it doesn't exist outside of that awareness. This is the wall that needs to be broke down. It's the wall of the mind. When the, the story, the legendary story of Bodhidharma, Bodhis, uh, who having gone to China, from India, met the emperor, went off and meditated in a cave for eight years. What does that represent? In the Soto tradition that comes from him, they still, you see pictures of monks that are in a zendo, but they are meditating facing the wall. This is Bodhidharma's wall, the, the wall of the cave. And what is the wall of the cave? It is the mind of doubt. It is the mind that keeps going back, that, that says there's something objective that wants to hold on. It's the mind that wants to grab, to cling. And you have to see it, that it's not personal. 
that it's not you that is struggling with this, that you always remain the pure awareness watching even this struggle, the, the outside, the, the thoughts that keep occurring. Who are they occurring to? Who's believing them? Take, go to the nth degree, completely break this down, follow this all the way until you can't go any further. When you can't go any further, there will be nothing but you. Pure, perfect stillness. Nothing but awareness. Without even the sense of you. There won't even be I. Because I is all there is. If it's all I, it means there's no I. Buddhism emphasizes no self. So people don't get caught on the idea of a self. Understood correctly, you can call it the self, the ultimate, the place, the place that actually is. Or you can call it no self because it's beyond words. It's ineffable. It is inscrutable. It cannot be defined. It cannot be discussed. And this is where you are all the time. It is that which is watching as these formations of thought happen and say, there's a world out there, there's not a world out there. There's a seeker, there's not a seeker. I guess I'll leave that for now. Is that okay, Merck? Please let me know. Jennifer 21, Jenny 21. With the cat picture? Yeah, <laughs> the cat picture. Have no friends not equal to yourself. And have, yes, have none that are not equal to you and have a lot that are even more. Let them raise you up. Narcissism at some point will prove to be more of a threat than all the wars, viruses, and viruses combined. The, the ego, narcissism is the ego that has completely lost touch with any point of reference outside of itself. And it is madness. And it is and it is devastating, yes. The the unenlightened mind is is the cause of all of the wars and the viruses and the greed. The the sense of being that has been so constricted it cannot see a world outside itself or outside its group, its community, its family, or outside its country with its, with its uh, patriotism, which Einstein beautifully said was the measles of mankind, <laughs> nationalism, childhood illness of mankind. These, you, as you can see at every level, me, mine, my family, my town, my group, my religion, my country, my uh, my economic system—they're all—they're all various manifestations of the of egoic mind, aren't they? They're all a sense of identity confined to a particular relative set of ideas and beliefs, and they are relative because they all—they all collapse. They—they—they. <laughs> they, they, they're only sustained by belief in them and enforcement of them, which means they have no substance in and of themselves. Real substance doesn't need to be enforced. 
Truth doesn't have to say, hey, you got to believe me. <laughs> it just sits there because it's true. Sorry, my feet are cold. I got my blanket, blanket, blanket on my feet. <laughs> it's much more cozier than you even realize. <laughs> so I sit here in my chair with my feet up. Uh, all right, so Peter, hello, Peter. Thank you, Jenna, Jenny, and your cat. Um, good evening from Italy. Good to see you, Peter. Love that beard of yours. It is so classy looking. Jason Deal, good stuff. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Maria, I love the teachings of Jesus and also non-duality teachings. Could you explain in your understanding of that no one comes to the Father except through me? Yes. The question is, the question is, what was Jesus referring to when he used the words I or me? He points to it. He says, I and my father are one. So he's pointing away from the person of Christ, of Jesus, to the, the, the animating principle, which un understood as, a, as, a, as manifesting itself as a human form you could call the savior, that's the Christ. If I recognize that that's me, that the I he was referring to was in fact the true I, no one comes un unto the ultimate except through that, except through the recognition of that. That recognition is the Christ. On the road um, to Emmaus, after after his crucifixion and the disciples all scattered, oh my God, they're going to get us. Um, there were two of them. I don't even know. I think there were minor ones because it wasn't at one of the two of the 12. We're on the road to Emmaus and Jesus appeared to them, according to the story. And they didn't recognize him, which is really interesting. If, if you look at it purely from a, a historical point of view, you'd have to say, what? Said, Wait, they, they spent all this time with him. Of course they recognize him. But that's not what it, that's not the recognition. They didn't really see him, the I that is, comes from the Father, the I that is the animating principle. And he walked with them, and he talked with them, and he explained to them the, the scriptures. And, and then they sat down together uh, in the evening to break bread. And as they broke the bread... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. Suddenly their eyes were, they got it. They saw him, the animating principle. And it says in the narrative that immediately he disappeared out of their sight. The form disappeared. There was nothing left but the Father. The form brought you to the, through the Father. So no one comes unto this understanding of, of the truth, except through the direct experience of the Father as your very own self, as the only I, the only I am. That's what he means by that. No one comes unto the Father except through the Father, except through the truth. You can't come to the truth through falsity. You can't come through love through hate. You have to come through this perfect forgiveness, perfect 
the recognition of perfect innocence. The, the, complete, the, the complete demolishing of that false sense of self that is not the Father. You cannot come to the Father as or with the ego. <laughs> They're opposites. The Father is the true self. The ego is the false self. And in, in between is the enlightened being, the sage. The appearance in form of the inscrutable and ineffable truth that is beyond all words. In order to come to that, you come through the, 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 the appearance to the form. And then you find that that form is your very form. That you are not somebody trying to get to the Father. That that somebody does not exist. That's the me. That's the true Christ. That's the true good news that is that is represented in stories like like that. Is that explain it for you, Maria? I'd like to have it find a Guinness with you and Christ. Done. <laughs> Done. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it, Carl. Mary Sykes, I love that you correct the dogmatic Christian teachings. Very thankful for this. I love doing it. Um, I love showing the, the real meaning of it. It's got, just gotten ignorantly twisted. And it, has, it is ignorant, and it has been, and it has been totally twisted. Um, Twisted by the sense of 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 the of Christ being a person, and there I'm a person. I'm the fallen sinner, and he's got to pay the price. I mean, a very elaborate, complex um, theology that grew up around a false belief and and became increasingly virulent and materialistic. You know, the the, the consort of materialism is literalism. And so now they insist that everything in the Bible had to be historically true. And in fact, almost nothing in the Bible is historically true. The, especially the last uh, hundred years, the, uh, and the last you know, 30 or 40, the methods of archaeology have become so precise. And so many things have now been uncovered, and DNA and all sorts of stuff, that there's... That, the Bible is a story, is a book of myths. There's, there's almost no historical uh, aspects to it at all. <laughs> now, for the Christian, that can't be true. My, the, my entire faith rests on the historical truth of these events, which means I have really built on sand. But they are virulent. They are aggressive. They are um, crazy. <laughs> so um, I'm doing my best to um, to correct it and to reveal the true, the true good news. I'm hoping to do some more. Then I've got a couple of things in mind. I'm hoping they're going to pan out. That I think you'll find very, very useful, Mary Sykes, as all all, all of us. Who, who grew up pretty much in, in, the, in the West. 
um, we got we got stuck with that kind of that incredibly horrible doctrine of original sin. And, uh, that's why I preach original innocence and not original sin. That was never the point of the story. It was the fruit of it was the consequences of eating the duality of good and evil and trying to sort through everything from that point of view. At that point, it was a fight about what was good and evil from there on out. But of course, if, if any culture that wants to maintain control over its people, the emphasis would not be on the, the fruit of duality, but on the disobedience. Of course, that was going to become the most important thing. The sin was disobedience. No, it wasn't. It wasn't disobedience. Don't think God knew exactly what was going to happen? for crying out loud. <laughs> we were never meant to stay in Eden. That's the whole story. The whole story is what happens when you eat the fruit. And we all do. We all do. So, yes, Mary, it's a bit of a mission of mine to be the, uh, to be the Christian mystic who is labeled as a heretic. I can't think of anything I'd be more proud of. I want the Baptists to, to, to condemn me as a heretic. Please. I have a lot more views. <laughs> Facebook user, my greatest wish that the wall of my crazy mind gets broken down. How? Um, practice. I can point you in the, I can point you in the direction through the various kinds of meditation. But it starts with the recognition that you're not who you think you are. And that the mind is simply an activity of the conditioned patterns and not who you actually are. We start on this spiritual path thinking that somehow I've got to quiet my mind. I've got to get rid of it. Uh, I, I've got to break down the, this crazy world. Like somehow I've got to get this mind to change. When you do that, you set up the mind within your beliefs as an entity in and of itself that somehow is, is gotten in the way between you and yourself. As if your true self is something out there somewhere that the mind could get in the way of. But isn't the true self the consciousness that's aware of the mind? How can it possibly get in the way? How can it get in the way of you knowing your own existence? How can the mind exist without you knowing it? So the belief that it's an obstruction, that, that it is a problem, that I've got to fix it or get rid of it, sets you in the path of a self-created loop. The mind doesn't exist. It is just a flow of thoughts. And if you give it no meaning, just or it's just a flow of thoughts, like you're sitting by a river watching the water go by, it's not a problem. And you can even enjoy it, the flow of thoughts. 
And so the meditation is a constant withdrawing back to the, to the place from which everything is being seen and to which all phenomena reports. Can the mind exist without you? That is, can there be a flow of thoughts without you there to see them? Do they exist out there somewhere? And if you're not here, you know, they just keep going or you're walking by and they kind of jump on you because they have some, they have some kind of in, inherent existence. They don't exist. They're simply a phenomena appearing to that which is beyond what we would call mind. Realizing that is the experience of the pure mind, which is simply the dynamic aspect of, of, the, of the ultimate knower, which is yourself. Is there somebody else other than you who is witnessing the mind? Put your attention on the witness and the witnessing. And don't try to make a witness. Don't try to make somebody who is witnessing. Just put the attention on the, on the, on the experience, direct experience of awareness. Pure, raw, unbuffered awareness. That's all you have to do. The rest will take care of itself. I think I need to do some classes on non-dual meditation. What do you think? <clears throat> yeah, I think so. Ah. Uh, so much to do, so little time. <laughs> Sean, dear, dear Sean. Oh, you got a picture with your kid there, with your little one. Okay, I've been doing a weird inquiry that keeps naturally arising. It goes like, what the is this? It feels strange as an inquiry, but it keeps repeating. You think it's constructive? Sure, what is this? Right, but really, you, you, know, you know, don't put the uh, emphasis on the expletive. Because, but I like it. I like the expletive because it's like, wait a minute, what, what is this? What is all of this? If, if, I, if, if I, like you have, gotten to the point where you've broken down the idea that it doesn't have an objective existence. It, it, it's not like there's a, a universe out there I'm perceiving. It's, it doesn't exist separate from my perception then the a very logical question would be, well, then what the hell is it? I mean, wait a minute. What is all this then? What, is, what makes this hub? Where did this all come from? What is the source of all of this? Now, if you're seeing it like that, to really dig into it, to find what is the actual nature of what I am experiencing, of the phenomena, that inquiry will bear fruit. Because it, you find that the nature of all phenomena is emptiness. That it is all you made manifest. But it has no inherent nature of, it, of its own. We think of manifestation as coming into existence something that it does have an existence separate from myself. But that's not really manifestation. Right? Th that would be that would be something actually coming into concrete being. Manifestation is simply an appearance of something else. Right? And if that something else isn't there, there's no appearance. The manifestation is not an entity in and of itself. It is always a phenomena. Well, what's the phenomena then? So the nature of all, of everything that is experienced is empty phenomena. It is simply an appearance. Of what? Of what is it an appearance? 
or to put it in your words, what the fuck is that? But pursue it like that as an inquiry. The intensity of the expletive is good. Now keep it focused. Really want to know. Okay, if it's, it's not matter, if it's not a bunch of little molecules dancing around, what is it? There's obviously a form here. What is it? What's it made of? Where did it come from? Does it have an actual inherent existence at all? Is it phenomenal? Hmm. Yes. Very solid ground to inquire into. Daryl, I've been asking that same question about seven years now. Sorry. Hello, GP from Maryland. Hello, Daryl. Um, did I answer it for you as well? It's uh, ah, two birds, one stone. Love it. Love it. Atlasius. The closer I come to surrender, the more manic OCD and obsessive mind arises. What can I do to temper these storms? Oh. Um, surrender. Okay. Take a step back. Say, okay, I'm just going to my desire is to surrender. But don't put any effort into it, at least not right now. And recognize that there's something really holding on that's afraid to surrender. So let's not just try to force our way through, right? Let's say, shut up, get all the way, right? This isn't the army. Just be really gentle and kind with, oh, wow, something gets really obsessive, it doesn't want to surrender. There's fear. It's afraid of dying. It's afraid of not existing. So notice that just doing that begins to temper the storm. You've, you have stepped out of the conflict with it. We can get this idea, this spiritual ideal that I'm supposed to surrender. And then it becomes like this force, like forced surrender. You can't force surrender. The ego cannot surrender. It is not able to do it. So what, it, what is it that surrenders? So notice there's a, there's a sense of somebody trying to surrender. Can you see that that's just an appearance? Does the space need to surrender to what's in it? Does the sky surrender to the cloud? Does the cloud surrender to the sky? It just moves through and, and, and dissipates. You are the sky. You are the space, which is in an eternal state of surrender that is complete and total comfort with its own being. You don't need to surrender. Surrender is a phenomenon that is simply the way it feels and looks when, when the sense of a separate self and its clutching is seen as merely phenomena. And then there's no, try, there's no need to force it to let go of its clutching. There's no need to force it 
to surrender. You you see that it's uh, all its obsessions. It's, and it's, it's, it's uh, obsessive compulsiveness. You see that. Now, stay with the one that's seeing that, which is totally aware, uh, accepting of it. Notice that that pure awareness doesn't have any restriction. It's not saying you can't be here. Anything that says you can't be here is also appearing in front of this pure, absolute seeing. And notice that that absolute seeing is, is totally loving. It, it's, it doesn't have a problem with anything. And so it says, okay, oh, obsessive compulsive mind. Yeah, I got it. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. You can be here. You can pass through. This is a big sky. It's got room for everybody. Notice that that's surrendering doesn't even enter into the conversation for pure awareness. It is in a constant state of allowing. There's nothing for it to surrender. It is pure love. You are pure love. That's the real you. And, and, and yes, from the point of view of our spiritual path, there's a sense that I need to surrender. I'm trying to take you a step beyond that to see that surrendering is a phenomena that occurs when you recognize your real position, the real place that you're looking from is, is beyond surrendering or, 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 or clutching. It, it recognizes both. It loves both. It allows both. It says yes to both. And then what happens? Those two become one. They, they just fall in together. And you, you witness surrender, the surrender. You don't actually surrender. Because you are what it is surrendering to. And for it to surrender to you, it must simply be completely flooded with the light of your love. Does anybody not surrender to love when it's genuine? You are the love to which that will surrender. <laughs> Thank you for that question. I really like that question. Thank you. Uh, Maria, thank you so much. You really got that. That's a girl. Yeah, good. Mary. Indoctrination has been so heavy. It's not so easy to drop some of those teachings. Yes. Yeah, be, because it took root in fear. That's why you, you know that it's false, because it relies on fear. It's a power trip. Guilt has been a big part of this. Yes, yes, guilt. It's all your fault. Oh, Christ had, had to die because of you. Your fault. Because God's bloodthirsty... Vendetta had to be paid. Somebody had to pay pay for God's bloodlust. <laughs> what a weird, weird religion. Wow. Please do some workshops. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got something very special in mind. I hope it works out. I'm not sure. I'm not sure yet. Uh, but um, if it does, I think it'll be. I think it'll be really special. <coughs> Shasha, hello to you. Hello. 
And a, and a great question, yes. For a great question, Atlasius. Thanks, Barry. I have OCD issues too as well. This is my friend <coughs> who is also here listening with me via phone. Ah, good, good, good. Religious OCD. Well, yes, it, it would create that, wouldn't it? You know, God is in your head. You're going to be punished for your thoughts forever. Death isn't even an escape, right? Yeah, you're damn right you're going to locking things three times and yeah it in it in it it, it 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 creates it 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 creates it. the teachings of christ have been just just it's the antichrist it's antichrist it's exactly the opposite that is that has deceived the very elect Awesome. Thanks, GP. And that's funny. We had the same question, Daryl. Good. Glad you got it. Amber, you. GP, thank you for talking about this. I benefited immensely from your recent video about God. It resonates with what I have always felt, but haven't, hadn't been confirmed and validated like this before. Yes, we all need, we all need to, we need each other. We need a Sangha. We need a real church where we can like confirm this for each other um, because we've all been taught to defer to this ultimate violent demanding authority and so how, how in the world do I find the inner strength to say no that that's not true um, it, it takes help it takes help from 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 those who can do that <laughs> until you can stand on your own two feet and go it's really not true you intuitively know it. We inherently know it's true. We know that that's all bullshit. Right? But something inside is going, yeah, but what if, what if? I mean, just every possible way to inflict the doubt and pain. So, so good. I'm glad. I'm glad I am serving that, uh, serving in that capacity. There will be more doing the same. Angel Sunshine, hi to you. Thank you so much, GP. You're welcome, Atlasius. What a great. Is that your real name, Atlasius? That's it. That's so. I mean, it's, it's like, a, like a Greek god or something, <laughs> or goddess. Yeah, Greek goddess. GP, you, you took the sting out of my former understanding. Just took the sting out of my former understanding. Very good, very good, yes. You are what it surrenders to. We're surrendering to love. How hard is that? <laughs> when you fell in love, whenever you did, as many times as you did, was surrender even an, a question? <laughs> did it even enter the conversation? It was just, Wow, cue the violins, right? <laughs> you are the love to which it all surrenders. That which is surrendering is like a rescue dog. It can't just choose to do it. It needs to be brought into it. Ah, I'm so glad to hear that, Mary. Jacqueline Guerrou, did I say that correct? Jacqueline? Guru, she appears such a beautiful soul, consciousness. 
Thank you. Thank you. As are you. Let's see. Angel Sunshine, I feel like connecting with you, but I got nothing to say or ask. <laughs> Love your chill vibe. Thank you, Angel. Um, and actually, that's all it takes, the desire to connect. The most natural of all human desires. Our desire to connect was there long before we had questions and thoughts and concepts. That's just love. That's the nature of life, is love. <laughs> and so that feeling of connecting, yes, on our human experience, that's connecting with others, connecting with a teacher, connecting with a with family, with a lover, with 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 you know people in your in your rock band, right? It's connecting is everything, and it's all an expression of a manifestation of the phenomena of the reality of oneness. It gives expression to oneness, connection. That what we feel in connection is oneness is the oneness that is your true nature, the nature of all things. But what can you say about one? Nothing, because there's nothing to compare it to, to say, well, one is like, it's not like anything. <laughs> it's just itself. And were it not for its nature, its completely loving nature, its self-loving nature, its utter adoration of itself, nothing would exist. Angel, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for connecting. I feel you. I feel that. Lovely. Awake, not woke, love Sundays. <laughs> Yay. Amber, I'm trying to understand how people who are religious say they have found peace and strength in it, but are also tied up in the dysfunction distortion of religion, because they really haven't. It's conceptual. They really haven't found they are, aren't peaceful. They're not happy. They say that because they think, well, this is it. It's purely conceptual. It's purely theological. Okay, I've accepted Christ, so I, I must be at peace now. Right? I know I'm going to heaven. And you can see a struggle to hold on to it because they're not at peace. And you can tell because the, more, the, the less peace there is, the more aggressive they are, the more they try to control things, the more they try to assert things more they try to control other people's lives. What's happening in the United States is just absolutely insane. I'm trying to control every, every, everybody's life, it, it, claiming that uh, you know, the 9-11 the, uh, happened because of, because of gay people. God was angry with us because we, allowed, we you know, allowed there to be gay people and stuff like that. I'm not kidding. I mean, this is the kind of insane stuff they say. That doesn't come from somebody who's in peace. That doesn't come from somebody who is walking with, with, with God. That comes from somebody whose God is a horrible, horrible, narcissistic, violent being that you need to fear. You cannot fear and love the, the, same, the same being. You can't do it. A being who, who demands... Your, your obedience and your devotion cannot be loved. And you can't possibly feel peace about that because there's always something you might screw up and get left behind. I mean, it's by, Paul even says that, right? Get left behind, maybe even me, he says, right? 
I've preached to others and I myself will be a castaway. Oh my God. That makes people, it's precarious. There's no relax. You can't relax into that. The only ones that have, have they, they've transcended it. They've gone beyond that. Atlasius, no, it's Brian. Ah, <laughs> hello, Brian. <laughs> Must be Greek gods then. All right. Sorry. <laughs> hey, hey, what do you call her? <laughs> hello, Susanna. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, let's see. Did I cover that? Did I cover that for you, Amber? I have noticed over the last bit of time I've become much, much more pointed and blunt about my, uh, my uh, criticisms of, of evangelical, of the evangelicals. So just unbelievably aggressive and um, do not have our best interest at heart. Dee Dee, I think those messages that are translated by religious people depend a lot on their own perception. Therefore, one could translate it as Jesus having done such to remind us of our worth of who we are. Yes, you could. Oh, it is all interpretation. Right? It's all interpretation. Right? It's interpretation that's been that's built up over thousands of years. Interpretations that were manipulated. Phrases that were added to what Jesus said. Well, he must have meant that because this is what it means, right? And so preconceived ideas actually found their ways into the actual text itself <laughs> that aren't there. They're not the original. I mean, the virgin birth isn't in the original. It was added later. It was a tradition that came down through the, came down through the Greeks. And I think it's only in one of the Gospels. So, yes, once I have a particular point of view, I now think that that's what it means. And I've lost, and I've, and if it, if I hold to it strongly, I've lost any motivation to question that, and so I have confirmation bias. Right? This is what it means, right? <laughs> of course, this is what it means. This is what Jesus meant. Therefore, well, he couldn't have really said that. He must have said it like this. Right? All sorts of, all sorts of things that, and that's how it happens. It gets. Interpreted and misinterpreted and misinterpreted and copied and we have translations, copies of trans, copies of copies of copies of copies of translations of what are, that are copies of translations that are translations of translations of translate, and it's just this: you you cannot discern what that the truth is. And then somebody it comes along and says, "Oh, the King James version. This is it. This is the only one." And uh, Art Ehrman, the the uh, the, the, the great um, uh, biblical scholar, said every year in his class. He still gets a few, a few students he teaches, he teaches at the college level. He still gets a few students who think Jesus spoke English. <laughs> it says less. It used to be a lot more. It's less, but there's still there's still a few. <laughs> he was he was this white guy, you know. He was this white guy in Palestine. Right, okay. <laughs> Sage of Nazareth. That's what I like to call him. Mascarenas. GP, how do you come out of your head and into the heart? Thank you. 
Well, you start with the desire to do so. Everything starts with the desire to do so. And it becomes, if the desire is, don't turn this into, how do I come out of the head and the heart? Don't turn this into an exercise that your head's going to get engaged in. How do I do this? You see the mind trying to figure out how to get out. How do I get out of the head and into the heart? At this point, it's a conceptual heart, and the whole thing is taking place inside your head. Instead, do this. What does it feel like when you see a little kid laughing? Or you see a little kid crying? What does it do to you? What does it do to you? Maybe you see a kid being yelled at by their parents in public at a grocery store or something like that. What is that? That's not your head. That's your heart. Your head may want to jump in and, and want to do something, you know, throw tomatoes at him or something. Don't, by the way. But you felt it, didn't you? There, there it is. Put on a piece of music that makes you dance or makes you cry. That's not your head. It happens all the time. Take a sip of your favorite, you know, latte or, or tea or, or wine. That's not your head. Your heart, direct experience. The heart's—it's not really—it's not really here. The heart is the direct experience. When you walk by, you see a flower. You smell the flower. Really, smell the flower. Take the time to smell the roses, but don't think about the rose. Just the actual experience itself. Right now, just rub your hand across your face or on the or on the side of your other hand. Just. Just gently touch your skin. Feel it. You call it pleasurable or, any, or anything like that. Just the pure sensation itself and notice. There's a direct experience there. That's the heart. Notice, you don't need your head to do that. You don't need a name. You don't need words. It is direct experience. Just feel your body here for a second. Just Your head doesn't feel. Mind thinks, it doesn't feel. It, it represents symbolically. It is never the actual experience. The actual experience is heart. The, our conceptualization of it. The context we wrap around it is head. And at some point, those two become one. And that's the primordial wisdom. It both understands and experiences, but is not clouded by concepts. Concepts become the service, uh, the servant of it. So that's it. See how simple it is? We just don't realize we're doing it. And the, the mind wants to turn it into a spiritual event, right? Okay, I'm going to get out of my head now. <laughs> what do I do? Okay, I got this checklist and this checklist and this checklist. Why am I hurt? Not, not yet. Right? It, 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 is, it is actually simply experiencing life directly the way a little child would. And every reaction you have, it's always good. You see an animal suffering. Do you think about it? Or is there this, <gasps> this feeling there? That, that's it. That's the heart. Now, you don't need to put concepts or words on top of that. You let those concepts and words follow it so that you can articulate it. You can 
you can form um, beautiful representations of it that don't get get separated from it. They don't get cut off from the actual experience. They simply give it expression. And you're giving expression to the experience that you're already always having. At that point, the expression and the and the experience are one. And now you speak with authority. Because everybody will feel the experience reflected in the words. The words carry the word. The word is Uh, does that uh, help help you, Agrinus? I get stuck in just watching YouTube movies, series. Can't stop watching and not getting things done. I need to the day or week. How can I ever get out of this? Well, first, forgive yourself. <laughs> oh my God, you're human. I would rather watch something that interests me than do what I have to do. So just. Take all the stigma off. There's nothing wrong with you. It's not a, it's not a problem. Right? It's not a problem. You know you have to get things done. My guess is that you are. The, the real thing is we don't really know. We don't have a real criteria as to how to draw the line. What do I have to do and what do I not have to do? When is it okay to just sit back and chill? When is it okay and when do I need to get things done? We don't really know. In our world, you know, in the in in the economically driven West, it is just it's they're slave driving. It's worse than slaves. <laughs> we work harder than the serfs worked for the kings. Oop, I just disconnected something. What happened? <laughs> My screen just went blank on me. I I bumped something. I need to. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, so just start by letting yourself off the hook and say, okay, what I really want in my life is, is balance and flow. I have to get things done, but it feels so burdensome as well. And as I was saying, our uh, the, the, the serfs under, under, under the and kings and, and landed gentry worked less than we do. In, the, in, in Europe, at any rate, I mean, five months out of the year, they didn't do anything at all. How about that? Everybody have a job here with five months vacation time? We've got, we've got this insanity going that's so infected us. We don't know where to, where to draw the line. I, I find myself in that, you know, running this, you know, not just doing this, but I have a business. I have to make some money at, at all of this stuff, put on courses, do pages, and, website and all of this this kind of stuff it's like it's like where can i just sometimes you just go fuck it and i go somewhere and just you know just sit look at the ocean drink a coffee or whatever right just kind of like we're we live in, in a toxic insane um, society that has been created dri driven by the economics, which is completely driven by greed, and greed is a killer. It's one of the, it's the reason why it's a deadly sin. It's a killer. It sucks the life out of everything. 
And when there's no life left, it throws it aside and then grabs onto something. It, it's something else. It's a vampire. This whole economic system, capitalism, is a, is a vampire. Its days are numbered. <laughs> so, that uh, hopefully that helps. So we're taking back this authority to ourselves as to where I am going to draw the line. I'm not ready to live completely off grid, <laughs> so I'm making concessions, but finding that line, and it's a, it's a day by day thing because the line will be moving depending on what needs to happen. Eva, yes, this beautiful feeling of connection. This is why I'm here always. Every thought song is so such a beautiful time. <laughs> Thank you, Eva. David, please be more pointed and blunt, GP. <laughs> they are speaking. They are agents of oppression. Seriously, dangerously delusional. How's that? A little more blunt? <clears throat> Carl, the truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. How twisted did these words become? Yes. Please continue to be pointed and blunt. <laughs> Respect to you for doing so. Ah, oh, wow. Carl. Yes. Well, I'll, I'll do my best. So many of us have suffered under the, uh, under the Christian dogma that has nothing to do with Christ. Nothing to do with Christ. It was, it, it never did, right from the get-go, the, the, the creation. Even Paul was off. Remember, Paul never actually met Jesus. He had a vision. Right? And Paul was an organizer very well educated as opposed to the rest of the, the disciples who are not. Um, very well educated, very well versed in all, in, in all sorts of stuff, St spoke many different languages. And he was an organizer. And so we got really as the Church of Paul, which is a, a mixture between his, his mystic experience and, and, his, and his politics. It's not the Church of Jesus. It's the Church of Paul, and he he did have a mystical experience, a vision of a vision of Christ. But of course, it got filtered into his his knowledge. It wasn't a complete awakening. It wasn't a complete realization. And you can even see it in the writings. Although, of the thirteen letters of Paul, uh, six have been completely discredited. They were not written by him. There's only seven of them that there's certain he actually wrote. And even in those seven, you can see him flipping between this mystical vision and, and uh, the, 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 the politics and the organizational stuff of trying to implement it in his, in his world, which anybody who has, uh, you know, goes through that, you know, every, everyone who has awakening goes through this thing, well, how in the world, what do I do? How do I work with what's going on in the world? So, so anyway, thank you for the respect for doing my best to try to uh, to try to uh, bring peace 
and, and healing to hearts that have been really broken by it. Okay, Nazrin, get right to the point, why don't you? Who created thought? <laughs> oh, I'm glad you didn't ask me this two minutes before we're done. Um, I love you, Nazrin. <laughs> okay, let's look at this. Outside of the realm of concepts, put aside the concept of thought, right? which is itself a thought. Right? And so when we say thought, what is the phenomena that's happening that we have couple of steps removed, given the name of thought. So tr try to look at what is the actual thing that's happening that we have called thought. You can see there's a, there's a flow of pictures and words and sounds, memories, emotions and sensations, even, although we tend to think of those slightly different. We tend to think of this just as this flow of images and sounds and words and concepts that are that are running that are running in front of our attention. We even say running through the mind, but that's just another concept. Put, even put that aside, just to see what is actually happening. I am watching a flow of subtle forms, energetic forms. They're not like a form like, you know, this is a form, right? Something solid or, uh, or, or, or the cup I don't have here. <laughs> they're very ephemeral. They're very, they're, and they're very fleeting, right? Matter of fact, it's even hard to isolate one thought because even a thought appears to be made of many little pieces. So you just stand back and you watch this flow. Okay. Where did the flow come from? Now, if it's just a flow, it's quite evanescent, right? It's there for a second and gone. Boom, gone. Now, try to do your best. We set aside the concept. We're just looking at this flow. And you just and notice that the flow isn't, isn't coming out of nowhere. Well, it, it is actually coming out. But we imagine it's coming from someplace. But when the flow, there's a source, right? There's a place when all of a sudden a thought appears. Now, look at that place. Is there anything there? Is there anyone there? Is there somebody there creating it? The only thing that's there is you. But there's no act of will. You're not deciding to make a thought. Obviously, deciding to make a thought would itself be a thought. And if I'm going to make a thought, I'm going to decide to make a thought. It means I've already had the thought that I'm deciding to make. So all of that's nonsensical. You're there, and a thought appears. Boom. This flow, this whatever it is, doesn't matter what, what you call it. 
suddenly appears out of nowhere. Was it created? Or did it just spontaneously appear? Spontaneously appear. It just appeared. All of what we call creation is that. The idea of creation is, is that, that something, that there was some kind of an act of will, a deliberation. We, we, we think of creation and thought as if they're two different things. I have the thought and then I make it in reality. <laughs> but that's just another thought. The appearance of everything is thought. Nothing more. Everything. When we look at the ephemeral flow that is that appears to be happening inside us, in, inside our heads, we see that it's it's got a very short lifespan, if any at all. In, in fact, can I even time slice it enough to find something that exists? In the sense of something concretely having objective existence. Maybe I'm going too far. Am I going too far on, on this answer? So nobody creates it. It's simply a cosmic event. It just happens. It's a cosmic event. You personally, so because the sense of yourself as a person right, is there, that's another thought that is being overlaid on top of this flow of thoughts. The fact of the matter is it is a cosmic event and you are the cosmos. You are not the person. You are not Nazareth. That is simply a name that is a thought and around that thought patterns of thoughts have, have, have made a flow like a tributary of this big flow of the totality of all. It's this little tributary little, or little creek or little river running off the side. And that's Nazareth. You're the source of that, too. You were there. Nazareth was the thought that appeared. Prior to that, who were you? So thought is a misnomer. Thought doesn't actually exist. What it really is, let's see if you can grasp this. What it really is, is a vibration in awareness. And what's vibrating but awareness? It is simply the, the dynamic aspect of, of awareness, that which is aware of this vibration that we call thought is the very source and substance of that. It is made of that. So it is awareness. It is not even a thought. It is an evanescent ripple in the infinite ocean of being. And, it's, and everything is like that. Those would say, this thing exists, this chair or whatever exists 
in and of itself, but I say it doesn't. It too, it is simply another of exactly the same. What we call sensation or what we call matter isn't matter at all. It is an evanescent ripple in the infinite ocean of being, of Satchitananda, of being consciousness and bliss. Everything is that. Different, right? But the, the, that vibration or flow that is a mountain is very different than, than a fleeting thought. But it is exactly the same. It is, it is the, exactly the same. A different appearing of the same thing. A different phenomena of exactly the same essence. It is all the, the self-modulating of consciousness. So nobody created it. Because it has no absolute existence. Phenomena, an appearance has no existence. The mirage in the desert has no existence. It's simply appearance. So it, nobody created it because nothing was ever created. <laughs> Sorry, maybe I went too far with that. <laughs> it is a spontaneous appearing. Like, like, like the jazz musician. It's all improvisational. They're not creating it. It's just happening. Well, like when you sit down to do your paintings or stand up to do your, your, your works of art. It's just happening, isn't it? We call it the creative process because we don't know what else to call it. And we think it's coming from a person and they're going through these. And there's all sorts of other stuff. There's atmosphere and all sorts of things going on that appear to be the creating. But in fact, it is a spontaneous event, a cosmic event that's appearing out of nowhere. And in fact, is not an entity in and of itself, but a phenomenon. You and you alone are the entity. Pure, infinite emptiness, timeless, dimensionless. Being and not being at the same time. And I suspect I may have gone too far. <laughs> Does that make any sense to you, Nazar? Or anybody else for that matter? Sometimes I'm, I'm afraid I go off in places that I can't be followed. <laughs> So you mean feeling and sensing everything instead of thinking and describing? Is this being in the yeah? That's being in the heart, not the head. I'm just experiencing. You're not thinking about your experience. You're experiencing. That's the heart. Don't confuse the idea we have of the heart of, of its altruism and love and all this stuff. That's just an aspect of it. It's 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 the direct experience without watering it down. That's heart. It's the open-heartedness that experiences life as it is. And so it's pure experience. You don't need to conceptualize it. Smell a flower. Watch a child. Watch a child laugh or cry or run. Do it yourself. Take a hot bath. Get a massage. You'll just be, in your, you'll just be feeling. You don't need the mind for it. That's it. it. Oh, it's... Again, the mind makes this so difficult. It wants to turn it into this event. Oh, I've got to get into my heart now. I'm going to be on the path of getting into the heart. I gotta wear special clothes and take these yoga classes and raise my kundalini and and oh my god, 
please. It isn't hard. It isn't hard to be what you are. It's really hard to be what you're not. Teresa, it's amazing listening to you, Jeep. To you, confirming so much for us. Oh, I'm so glad, Teresa. It's amazing to me how many people have been just devastated by these, by false theology. I think the indoctrination is in the collective, don't you? Yes, absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. It's, it's a belief. It, it just gets infected. It infects everything. You know, it's infecting our politics. I can remember when some, somebody who had a, had a strong religious view couldn't get elected to office in the United States. They were suspect, but they wouldn't put, they'd put church ahead of state. Now it's like you've got morons saying that the church should be telling the state what to do. <laughs> then you have to ask, well, which one? Well, mine, of course. Yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna start a church, yeah. The church of the nut too or something. <laughs> Our lady of perpetual responsibility. <laughs> David, thank you, GP. I can't express how much this helps. Oh I feel it. Thank you. Awake, not woke. I find it difficult to love others in this sick society full of blatant deceptions and the blindness to it. Yes, but that's the mission, isn't it? To find out how to do that. And the way to do that is to, is to come to truly understand the nature of this, the phenomenon of this unconsciousness that you're, you're, you're referring to. And because it's an, it's an essential delusion, an essential unconsciousness that gives rise to the blindness and the, and the deceptions and the cruelty and the barbarity because it thinks of it as having as something good and valuable and important and right. Where does that state of mind come from? Nobody created it. And because nobody created it, it was just kind of inherited. It just kind of happened. It was the inevitable consequence of the turn humanity took like 12,000 years ago. Inevitable, it was inevitable that we'd get to this point, that it would be as extreme as it is because that's how it must get in order for us to see through it. But nobody created it. The people, even the people who seem like they're, they're purposely doing it are themselves in the, in the, in, in, in the, in the, the throes of that, of that illusion, of that delusion. When you see that, a sense can open for, for they are as much the, vic the victims as they are the perpetrators. They're all a victim of the idea that somehow they can benefit by hurting others or manipulating others. There's, there's, that's a delusion. You can't. <laughs> if you can see that, you can purge any of that out of you and the door will open for you to be able to say about them like Christ did forgive them they don't know what they're doing find them innocent because they have no idea what they are doing and this makes you wiser than serpents and harmless as doves there are a lot of bi biblical themes today 
Jacqueline, I thought is a cosmic event. <laughs> Comic event, perhaps? <laughs> well, it's both. <laughs> it's both. Both a cosmic and a co comic event, although it doesn't seem to be much of a comedy right now, does it? Whoops, Nazar, and I forgot what question I asked you to which you are answering no. <laughs> oh, there you are. And it feels like I'm a machine. There is no Nazar. No, Nazar is the name given to the machine. You're not the machine. The machine is conditioning, and the name given to the to the machine was Nazar. And then you, who is not a machine, projected your realness, your selfness, your actual reality onto the machine and imagined that the machine was a sentient being. You're not a machine. But this is, this is like a mechanism, right? Like, like, like you're not the piano, but the, and the piano needs you you're not your paints, but the paints need you. You're the animating spirit that turns the paint into art. And you could call that the true Nazarene, or you could say there's no Nazarene at all. I'm transcending it. I watching this, the who am I? Yes, you are the you are the I that is aware of it. And there's where the inquiry is. Well, what who, who am I then? I simply want to let go of everything that isn't me. And if that means I see Nazarene as just the manifestation of the self, the, the, the manifesting spirit, well, great. If I see that as, as simply a name given to the functioning that is required for life, I, I need this vehicle in order to express. If I don't have GP, I, I, don't, I can't say anything. <laughs> I, I have no mouth for, with which to speak. So I need this, like I need my car to get around, right? So, um, yeah. So I don't mean that say, to try to demean the value of the individual, only to separate the, the animating spirit, which is not a person, from the form in which it is appearing, so that both you and the form are now free. Because the form is a free phenomena. It can be anything. And the idea, oh, this is who I am as, a, as this form actually restricts our human lives. <clears throat> Your human life is infinitely free. Everything is infinitely free. It is free because it is empty. It is not fixed as anything. And therefore, its constant appearing as form has no limits on it. Cosmic event. Does that help, Nazarene? I, I don't want you to think you don't exist. You do. Very much so. And I'm very happy you do. <laughs> Just don't think of Naz, don't think of yourself as the form that you happen to be appearing in now. Enjoy that form. Right? Enjoy its beauty and its feeling and its and all the things that it can do and all the capacities that it has. Enjoy that. And recognize that it doesn't really have any limits. And it is not essentially who you are. <clears throat> Mary, are we not just regurgitating thoughts that have already been thought? Um, nah, don't look at it like that. It's because a thought comes 
And when it goes, it's gone forever. The next one may look a lot like the one in front of it, the one before it, but it's not the same thought. Nothing's ever the same, ever. <laughs> they form patterns, right? But the lifespan of a thought of a thought is infinitesimally small, and it never happens again. Remember, it's a phenomena. It isn't an, an entity that ever really exists. It is a ripple in the ocean. And you don't have a ripple without the ocean. And the ripple is simply the functioning of the ocean. The wave is the ocean. You can't separate the two. The two. Did I miss anybody? So no one creates a thought, but yet if we hold on to a certain thought, then it creates itself or manifest. When I believe that a thought is something other than a thought, in other words, that it is true rather than just, just a thought, I hold it. I grab onto it. Then I focus on it. And around that thought, I create a universe. The moment I believe something to be true, my entire perceptual mechanism starts focusing around it, filtering things out, bringing things in. That's what they, they, they mistakenly, ignorantly call the law of attraction. It's not attracting any, anything. You're, you're making a universe. Simply through the, the attention gets caught by belief. So we're always questioning whether it's really true or not. No thought is true. What is true? You. You, your existence, your being. That alone is the truth. Everything else is fleeting. So we don't want to hold on to any thoughts. We don't want to look for true thoughts. There aren't any. We're simply, there's conventions we've agreed on, right? We stop at red lights. There's nothing magic about stopping. There's nothing about a red light that says you have to stop. It's a convention we've agreed on, okay? Red light, stop. Green light, go. It's a convention, nothing more. It's not truth. And the truth is not a thought. It's not a concept. Truth is being itself. Being and, and truth. In, in, in Sanskrit, Sanskrit, Sanskrit they have the, they're all the same word. Sat, it means being, it means reality, it means truth, it means that which is. It's all, it's all the same, it's the truth. You, your conscious awareness is the truth. Everything else is simply a manifestation. Thanks for all your help. You're very welcome. Very welcome. And, and it is a comic event. As well, indeed, it is. GP just joined. Oh, Shanae, miss you, miss you. I'm gonna hear some new music from you. I keep looking. Carl, thank you for your time and wisdom. She, you're so welcome, Carl. Palana, hello, Palana, great. Yes, everything is a ripple, a dynamic aspect of awareness. Somebody told the universe looks more like a great thought rather than a great machine. It is. Is it is a series of phenomena that are their nature is emptiness. <laughs> That's, but 
the fact that their nature is emptiness is what makes it unlimited. Because it wasn't empty. If it was something, I couldn't get out of that. We would be trapped in the thing. That's the, that's the tragedy of the ego. It traps itself in, I am this. And now the whole sense of being gets, the infinite gets contracted and stuck in this little jam jar. Ah, uh, Shanae, why would I be programmed to always worry or have my suspicions only for them to become truth and true or to be confirmed as being true? How can I remain true to who I am while knowing it will piss people off? <laughs> well, um, some people it will. I, I get, you know, I regularly get not nasty comments for peop from people. <laughs> what am I going to do? Um, is it what's the problem with pissing people off? Not that we want to, right? I'm not trying to do it on purpose. And if you are, if if, if you do piss them off, then if they're not receptive to your to to you or to your message, you don't want to be there anyway. As far as why would I be programmed to always worry? You weren't programmed. The nervous system was programmed. You weren't. You cannot program the infinite self. You are not programmable. The true I can never be conformed or contained or constricted. It can't be. That which is conformed and constricted is conditioning. It's, it's the programming. And the programming is simply patterns of thoughts and emotions and sensations. And you are not thought, emotion, or sensation. You weren't programmed. If you could be programmed, there'd be no way out. Because something has to step outside and goes, that's a program. Now, the program can't do that. The computer can't tell you it has a bug. It's just doing what it, it's programmed to do. There's no sentience there. You have your suspicions only for them to become confirmed. All right. Well, that means you've had some insight, right? That has now been confirmed in experience. That's, that's a wise woman. That's, that's not a problem. And if you see something, and you realize that it has negative consequences, the best you can do is to try to mitigate those consequences as best you can. And, 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 if, you, and if you can, wonderful. And if you can't, then you, then you accept that that's simply the way it is. That's part of the wisdom. And you simply remain loving and let events unfold as they unfold. And you remain this loving presence that is forgiving even after the fact. So they're pissed off at, at me. I love them anyway. Love your enemies. Do good for those that uh, that curse you or persecute you. For for then you are the child of my father. The one who loves their enemies finds they don't have any. Then you are truly the child of God, the child of, child of love. Oh, so beautiful some of the things he said. To get so twisted. 
How do you remain true to who you are? Well, you, by, re, by recognizing that you are always who you are, and that being true to who you are is simply how, I, I, I'm, I'm learning how to put the right emphasis in the right places. I'm learning how to be present and compassionate, to speak, maybe at the risk of pissing somebody off. I don't really want to do that. And I'll, I'll not do that. If I think that's going to happen, I'm just not going to do it. Because if I do, then, then whatever I have to offer to them, they're not going to receive. So there's, there's no point in offering. Instead, I will take, I'll be, discretion is the better part of valor. I know it's going to come. I'm not going to swim with the sharks. So I'm just going to leave them to themselves and love them. And look, be open to an opportunity that maybe I can share what's on my heart. And believe me, there's plenty of people out there who are more de deeply desirous to share with you what's on your heart because it's on theirs too. And we all want that connection and that sense of community and belonging. So remaining true doesn't mean you have to speak it. Just know it. And then let to be, really be, be true to yourself means you let the truth find the right means of expression, which might include not saying anything at all. But that, that state, that, that feeling of love, which is who you really are, be true to love and you're true to yourself. That is always, that's always felt in some way. That always has an impact. So, thank you, Shanae. Good to see you again. GP, thank you very much. You're welcome. We can extrapolate this further. Everything is just a dream, right? Now who's, and if it's just a dream, who wakes up when the dream ends? Hello, Valerie. Listening to you is such a delight. I smile the whole time. Ah, I smile a lot, too. I'm Drifter. Hello, Drifter. Thank you for sharing, GP. You're welcome. Alana, when I'm in my heart and content as being the loving observer, I find it challenging to follow dreams or desires because I feel so complete. Any advice how to keep curiosity for experience? Oh. Um, Well, first off, don't worry about this, um, because what happens is, as the loving observer, as, as this really is becoming more and more um, established as who you actually are, you're just going to find that your dreams and your desires change. They won't go away, because they're part of life. Because what it really is, the dream and desire, is the natural impulse of awareness to manifest itself. If that wasn't there, nothing would exist. There'd be no experience whatsoever. The contentment of awareness is made manifest in the, in the, in the expression of love. 
So put it in those terms. It's not a personal dream or a personal desire. You can just kind of take this dream and desire and say, and hand it off to God, right? Put it on the altar and say, purify it and let it be whatever it is. Let it have a life of its own. Think of every desire and every dream as if it's a child that you've given birth to. It's appeared in your life. Now, when, when you have the child, you don't know what it's going to become. <laughs> now it's going to look like or, or sound like. You don't know if it's going to be a rock and roll drummer or a, uh, or a mathematician. Right? You don't know. You have no idea. But does that mean you go, oh, I shouldn't have this dream or this? No. You, you feed it. You water it. You don't force it. You watch it as it grows. You let it be whatever it is. You let it fulfill its own destiny. And then you let go of it. So you are now the garden in which dreams and desires grow. And not the... And not, and, and not responsible for them. It's a seed that you don't actually even know what the plant is. I go over this in enormous detail in my course, Your Four Amazing Powers of Creation. So we get this straight. Dreams and desires are also a cosmic event. They're not personal. It's not your dream and or your desire. It is the desire of the universe that is simply manifesting through you. Your job is to be the universe in manifestation, giving birth to it, allowing it to be whatever it needs to be. Can you feel what a weight that is off your, off your shoulders? And don't get bored with feeling complete and peaceful. <laughs> What's wrong with that? <laughs> out of that completeness, that sense of completeness, out of that, a very different caliber of desire will arise. It will be the it will not be a dream or desire to get something. It will be the desire to give. It will be arising out of your completeness. It will be an expression of that. Thanks, Palana. Ah, Faith. Hey Baba. I'm afraid to be without a, a job without money. This fear hits me strong the last couple of days. What should I do? Love you. Love you too. Hazard is laughing. <laughs> um, stay present with the fear. You'll notice that behind the fear is a belief that somehow God has left you. That the prophet has left you behind. That you have you have that you're not valuable. you could just you're expendable you could just be thrown out and and that you're powerless simply stay with that feeling now you know in your heart it's it is just a feeling it's not true but when it hits really strong like that and look you're, you're not alone in this this is not like it's unusual just you fail everybody i'm sure everybody listening has had that experience maybe even today for sure this week. Right? Every arising of fear is a, is a reassertion that you are less than your true self, the less than loving reality that you really are. Don't fight it. Don't argue with it. 
The mind loves, would love to get you in an argument. Right? Make it like, this isn't real, this isn't true. The mind would love, love it, nothing more than that. Stand in your position as the enlightened witness of it. And try to love even the fear. Because what is it? It's simply, this fear is simply this deep desire to take care of you, to protect you, to make sure you're okay. Suddenly it's not an enemy. And it may even have the opportunity to transmute into some kind of power, into some kind of an energy, some kind of a focus. So it's not, it, it is an energy. Right? And we want to be so loving and present with it that that energy has, has the opportunity to transform itself. Right? The, the toad can become a prince. I gotta speed up a little bit here now, but does that help, Faith? I know it does, I can feel it. Thank you, Ava. Thank you, Chief, for your presence. Thank you, Ava. Ooh, thank you for, for that about thought. They're always new, yeah, they never stop. So if I believe something, how do I get rid of it? Stop believing it, <laughs> right? You have to, you have to push. You have to push through until it is no longer believed. You can't make a belief go away, right? If you believe it, it's there. You have to, you, the only thing that unseats a belief is understanding. <laughs> Simple. That's it. Nothing else will do it. So take it apart. Is this really true? And don't stop until you know. So when you say, I got to get rid of it, it's like I can pluck out this belief and throw it out. The beliefs don't hold on to you, right? They're not a thing that can hold on. You know, they're not barnacles, right? <laughs> it's not alien. <laughs> it's, it, you're holding it by believing it. So, okay, what am I believing? And at the heart of all the believing, at the heart of all of it, is the one belief that I am the separate self. And we can't always go directly there. But that's where, that's where it is. So I'm going to leave it at that. Shanae, yes, I'm recording music. We'll share it. Good. Good. I want to hear some more. Yes, remaining loving is hard when people try to sabotage you or spite you. That's the hard part. That's the challenge. Yes. But you're up for it. Imagine, imagine the inner victory when you come to the point Christ did of, I have no, I forgive them all. I have nothing but, but, but a well-meaning heart and a desire to free them from suffering. What a triumph. I don't always mean in terms of spiritual truth, but putting your own needs first and acting on that. Thank you. It's great to hear you speak. Um, put your own needs first. Yes, well, uh, it's something we all have to do. And we're always in a constant, um, we're in a constant um, thing of, okay, when do I make a concession when I don't? This is, the, this is what it means to be human, especially if you're in relationships with people, either romantic or friends or anything. There's this always going on. At what point, what can I concede and what can I not? At what point is this encroaching on me, on my freedom to be myself? At what point it, does it really not matter and I could, this isn't, this is, the relationship is more important than that. 
this is not something there's any hard and fast rules. It is something that is like, it is something that's, um, uh, it's worked out day by day, moment by moment, and it's constantly changing. That's why this is an art. <laughs> this is an art, not a, not a science. It's Everything is a dream. Will I ever wake up? What does wake, what is waking up like? Um, happiness. Happiness and love. Uh, thank you to all. Thank you to all. Thank you to all. Thank you to all. Don't forget to like and share. I got a, a brand new class I'm going to be doing in two weeks, and I'm going to be announcing it tomorrow. Um, and I'm going to take up the issue of scarcity and lack and abundance and, and the like because it's on so many people's hearts and minds these days. So um, that's coming up, and it's special. I'm doing it really cheap uh, to celebrate 10,000 subscribers here on YouTube. <laughs> um, I'm very happy about uh, hitting that that. Uh, that landmark, that milestone. So to celebrate, I'm doing this class really cheap. <laughs> so I hope you'll all join me for that. And in the meantime, thank you all for being here. Keep remembering who you are. You already are who you are. That will never change. You can't lose it. So now we're just bringing our, our human experience in alignment with what has always been true. That's what the path is. It isn't a becoming the perfect infinite being. It is realizing that that's what you've always been. Thank you all my loves. Until next time. Namaste. <laughs>